morning. Let's open up the Word of God together, shall we? Um, the living and active, inerrant, breathed out by God, inspired Word. Um, we're going to read uh, Hebrews 19 uh, through 39, which is our text for today's lesson, and it's where we'll be camping out here this morning. All right? Follow along, if you will. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the formal days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay." But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Mm. Okay, where do we start? <laughs> well, as we sit, uh, as we sit here today under the authority of God's word, uh, let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit um, to hover over us and to open our minds to these rich scriptures that we're about ready to discuss, okay? Will you pray with me? My dear Heavenly Father, because of your provision, we have the privileges uh, that we read about here in your word. 
the privilege to draw near by faith and the privilege uh, to stir one another and encourage one another uh, towards love and good deeds. Uh, we have the privilege that we do have a hope um, and we can hold fast to the confession of that hope without wavering because you who promised are faithful. So Father, it is your faithfulness uh, that uh, we're so grateful for here this morning um, because you're faithful uh, to do that which only you can do as we open up your word and sit under the authority of it. We ask, Father, that you be faithful to teach us, to change us, and to make us more like your Son. It's in his precious and holy name that I pray. Amen. Well, we have come uh, to a significant place here in the letter of Hebrews, haven't we? Um, not that it all isn't, but here uh, the author takes a little bit of a turn. In light of all that has been written, uh, all that he has taught concerning the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, the author exhorts his readers to faith and perseverance, to a living out of all that had, they had received. So practical exhortations. He has set up his argument for several chapters now, right? Of the supremacy, the deity, the sufficiency, the it is finished once and for all sacrifice in Christ alone. Um, and now we hear these practical exhortations applying that which all that we have learned and been given. So um, let's begin by looking in the text here, just verses 19 through 25 we'll concentrate on for a few minutes. Um, we're giving three exhortations. 19 through 25, we're given three exhortations. Let us, let us, let us. Sounds a bit like a toss salad, doesn't it? <laughs> so we're going to unpack these three lettuces because what I want you to see um, is God's provision and what he has provided for us. We are given these privileges, right? So the first one is, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, God's provided by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest of the house of God, we are the house of God. We have a great high priest. So we have the privilege to let us draw near, he says, near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we have the confidence and the freedom and the privilege of drawing near uh, in full assurance of faith. So the first let us really talks about faith, right? The privilege of this faith. The second beginning then at verse 23, let us it's about hope. Let us draw near with a, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, um, Yes, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here we go. Let us, verse 23, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Hope. It's a word we throw around, we hear, but what does this really, really mean? What is this hope that we read here in the scriptures? And what is hope without wavering? Uh, well, this, is, this hope is a confident expectation of future, future blessing 
based on facts and promises. Let me see that again. Hope without wavering. This hope is a confident expectation of future blessing based on facts and promises. For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Really from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. From cover to cover, every book of the Bible, we find the theme of God's faithfulness, don't we? We can't open any part of the Bible without reading and learning of the faithfulness of God. It's the faithfulness of God, really, that enables you and I to live this life of faith that the writer of Hebrews is encouraging, exhorting his readers to live a life of faith. And it is the faithfulness of God that enables us to do so. It's his work in us. So we have confident hope in God's promises coming from God's trustworthy character. Right? And isn't that what it always boils down to? The character of God. He is faithful. Um, Whatever he calls us to, whatever suffering we may uh, endure, whatever persecution you may suffer or be even be, uh, called to live in um, due to your faith in Christ alone or in any, in any kind of suffering or persecution, right? It is what we believe about God that really matters the most, right? It really is. So God is faithful. So let's look at the third let us. So we've seen faith, hope. We find here beginning at verse 24 and all the way through 25, a let us, and this is focused on love, the love for one another. It reads, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, we need each other, don't we? Um, The family of God was intended to live side by side in community with one another. So we were made to live out this faith in community together. It is um, encouraging one another, stirring one another up. It is a strengthening, needed, right thing to do. Living life together. And... As I thought about this, I know it sounds silly, but really it's true. It is that we can't stir one another up towards love and good works, and we can't encourage one another, uh, really, if, if we're not together, if we neglect meeting together. So I have to be with you, and you have to be with me <laughs> in order to stir one another up and to encourage one another. That sounds silly, but some of them, and perhaps some of us, can get in the habit of not. And, and to be honest with you, um, I don't know about you, but if I miss this regular rhythm in my life of being with God's people, whether to be worship and preaching on a Sunday morning, wherever you gather, and, or, or Bible study, or coming alongside brothers and sisters in Christ, um, I miss it. It, is, it doesn't feel right. So the rhythm of constantly meeting together is a needed right thing to do. It's the way we were made as God's family to live this life of faith 
together. Well, I remember one Sunday morning um, walking into church and during our worship time, I'll never forget this, as I looked around, the Lord uh, opened my eyes um, back back to one young woman um, standing and worshiping that I knew was going through chemotherapy. Um, Then he turned my eyes toward a set of parents who were waiting on their runaway child to return home. They were standing there worshiping. And then he turned my eyes to someone who I knew had just lost her sister a few days before. And God's people just came together. But isn't this what we need? We need it as we live our life of faith. We need it through all of life, whether we're suffering or not suffering. But this is a strengthening, needed, right thing to do. And some of these new early Christians were getting out of the habit of meeting together. I don't know that we know why, but apparently they were. Um, some were neglecting to meet, meet together. So I want to just encourage you with that. Now, we all become discouraged, don't we? And it's not hard. We can be discouraged. We can discourage ourselves. We can receive discouragement sometimes just on daily news, right? Um, life can be discouraging. But um, someone has said that encouragement is the highest of human duties. I like that. The highest of human duties. And really, it's such a great need, isn't it? Encouragement. So we have the privilege to draw near, hold fast, stir up, and encourage. Draw near, hold fast, stir one another up, encourage one another, because the day is approaching. And we're all living this life of faith until he returns, until Jesus returns. For the needed purpose of love and good works for the kingdom. So we have the privilege of this faith, hope, and love. Those are our family privileges from the provision of our Father. We've been given these privileges as his children from his provision. But some of these early Christians, as I said, were getting in the bad habit of neglecting to meet with, other, with each other. Therefore, they were becoming discouraged, and some were even questioning if Jesus was really worth it. Holding on to Jesus, uh, was it really worth it? They were being persecuted for their faith in Christ alone. Um, so the author sees need here to give what some call the strongest warning in Scripture. Now, we've seen in other places in Hebrews, right, these exhortations and warnings, and it's important for us to keep them together. It helps us to better understand all of them. But this one here, excuse me, this one here um, really is the strongest warning we find, a warning against apostasy, a warning against shrinking back. And this isn't the first time the author has warned his readers of apostasy. If you remember, we saw this in chapter 6. It seems like so long ago, right? But back in chapter 6, I think taught in the fall, um, as you can always go back um, and listen to previous lectures. And and if you'd like to do that to better understand this text, um, that was taught by our teaching pastor, Drew Hunter, in chapter 6, where we see um, there also this warning against apostasy. 
So let's talk about what that really is. It's important for us to remember, as I said, to keep these all together, and we can best understand what the author is intending for exhorting and warning his readers. It's really an encouragement, and we see that side by side, warning and encouragement. So here, in this chapter, we're warned of the sin of rejecting the gospel. And you think, how, why could any, how could anybody reject the truth of the gospel? But that's what it is. The sin of rejecting the gospel. The writer says, if we go on sinning deliberately, the author writes, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Well, think about that. If I continue deliberately remaining in my sin of unbelief, there really remains no other sacrifice. Because Jesus' sacrifice was once, once, and for all. So the person who hears the gospel and in his or her head intellectually hears the gospel, intellectually, and, the, and receives this knowledge of the truth without a heart change from belief, without a circumcised heart from belief, but only head knowledge in understanding, hearing, perhaps time and time again, the truth of the gospel, but then willfully chooses to reject this gospel and continue sinning in unbelief, the writer says, there's a fearful expectation of judgment, and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's a strong warning. And really, the more I read it, it's a sad one. I know some people like this. I, I know. Um, maybe you do too. That's, that's heard the gospel. That are smart people. Um, but to have it in your head only. And to say, um, so, so Jesus died for my sin. And I am in need of forgiveness. No, thank you. Or God sent his one and only son that believing in him I could have eternal life with him? No, thank you. That's basically what it is, right? And apostasy has two major characteristics. So it's a knowledge of the truth and a willful rejection of it. But following this strong warning... And it, again, side by side here, the encouragement comes. The author gives his readers an encouragement. An encouragement so that uh, they might keep persevering in their faith. He believes that they will. He tells them that they will. We find that here at the end of this text. But he gives them an encouragement to keep going, to keep persevering, to keep believing, to believe a little deeper. And I wonder, have you ever, um, have you ever needed in your life that just word of encouragement, that push, that uh, cheering you on kind of encouragement, whatever it might have been. Um, I don't know, it could have been to get that degree uh, in a project at work, um, in that hard relationship, in that child that just pushes you, right? Have you just needed that extra encouragement? Every once in a while, someone comes alongside and gives you that nudge to keep going. Basically, that's 
in a bigger, big way, this is what the author is doing to these new believers that have placed their faith in Christ alone and have been persecuted uh, terribly for their faith. And he's saying, no, Jesus is worth it. Remember your faith. Remember, keep going. And he affirms his readers and he encourages them. And he says, recall, recall the past persecution that you received in hopes that this will encourage them to keep going. The past perseverance in their suffering for the gospel. And can you imagine what that must have looked like? I mean, um, they had heard and they had believed. They had believed the gospel. They had believed Christ. And they must have been so grateful to to, to have been freed from the law. They must have been so, can you imagine what they had lived under, right? Generation, generation after generation. And now Christ had come and had placed their faith in him. They must have been so grateful. They were on fire. They must have been so in love with Jesus, right? They must have been so in love and so unwavering in their faith. They must have been fully convinced because it says with joy, Uh, They were willing to suffer for Jesus with joy. With joy, uh, they had their eyes fixed on the unseen and were willing to let go of the seen. With joy. That reminded me of uh, Jesus' words to the church of Ephesians. Remember when he said, you forgot your first love. It's good for us just to think about that every once in a while. Do you remember when you first placed your faith in Jesus? Ah, the freedom, the joy. It's good to be reminded of that. So the author says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering since you knew, you believed that you had a better possession and an abiding one. Better and abiding. From what? From the scene. They had a better and abiding reward and possession that they believed in, that they hoped in, the unseen. You see, because this faith is hard, isn't it? It causes you and I to live a life of faith as living a life with my eyes fixed on the unseen. Without wavering my hope, the unseen, not the seen. And we don't live in that kind of a world, so that's really challenging, isn't it? But the author was affirming them and believing in them, and lovingly giving his brothers and sisters, look how he addressed them at the beginning, and he does at the end too, but he lovingly gives his brothers and sisters an eternal encouragement in temporary circumstances. That's what he's doing. An eternal encouragement in temporary circumstances. We all need that. They knew of a better and abiding possession. And that's what they had their eyes fixed on. So, now while most of us, you and I probably haven't, I don't know, maybe you have. But most of us probably haven't suffered for our faith in Christ to the extent of these early Christians. We all need to be encouraged at times to keep our eternal perspective. And that's really what it is, isn't it? Keeping that living today in light of tomorrow and keeping that eternal perspective. As we endure trials of many kinds, we need to be encouraged. As one writer put it, and I like this, to align our long vision with what the Lord longs to reveal to us 
the joy of his plans and his purposes to make us mature through endurance and complete our faith. To keep that long vision, because he has a plan and a purpose that we don't know and we can't see. But to keep that long vision, and he will mature our faith, and he will make it complete. So the author of Hebrews here quotes uh, the prophet Habakkuk, who he had urged Israel to live through hard times in faith. Remember? So let me read for you um, this section here, and I'm beginning at verse 37 through 38. He quotes Habakkuk, who said, Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So this faith is fundamentally the endurance of holding on as we wait for Christ's return. Until he returns, this is the holding on, the fundamentally enduring faith. It, it strains forward and upward toward unseen and unchanging realities. And it is a strain, isn't it? It strains forward and upward, this faith, toward unseen and unchanging realities. And that's a good thing, right? There are few things in our world, in our lives, that are unchanging. God's character is unchanging. His word is unchanging. And our better and abiding possession is unchanging. That's a good thing. And this endurance is the Lord's doing in us. And I think it's important for me to remember this. It's important for us to remember this. It is his work in us. This faith originates with him. And therefore, our endurance to live by faith is evidence of our faith that it's real. So he's working in us. He, he's working in us. And our endurance is, is, is evidence that he is working out this faith in us that our faith is real when it's tested. So you and I, um, in Christ, uh, have entered into the most intimate, personal relationship we could ever have. The most intimate, personal relationship with the living God in Him. And I know you talked about that last week, didn't you, in your workshops, and holding fast, and who we are in Christ, but this is the most intimate personal relationship that we could have with a living God, the one who created all things and holds all things together by his word. He's holding you and I together, and he's keeping our faith for us, which reminds me of Peter word, Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me read them for us. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested 
genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here, though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him now, Jesus, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, kept in heaven for us. That is just bigger than my mind can understand. But isn't that an encouraging word? He is faithful. He is faithful. So the life of faith is really Jesus living his resurrected life out all over again through you, through me. Jesus is living his resurrected life out through us in the very circumstances you're in right now, today. He's living that through you. He's enabling you to live by faith, and he's living that out through you. And until he returns, he's interceding for each one of us to keep living by faith. In the same way he prepared for the gospel, Peter, to remain faithful. He prays for you and I. <clears throat> he prays for you and I to keep being faithful. In whatever trials or temptations we're facing, he's praying for us to remain faithful. Is that good? So let me read our very last verse of this text that we're looking at today. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back. We're not. We're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The author believes in them. These new Christians, he believes in them. He affirms them. He encourages them. And you and I in Christ are not of those who shrink back. No. He'll make sure of it. We are those who live by faith, have faith, and preserve our souls. So God brings us to faith through warning and promise. And he preserves us through warning and promise. It's good to receive these. He brings us and he holds us through warning and promise. Let's pray. Father, you are faithful. You are good. You are true. Your promises are true. And we look forward to the day that we will see you face to face. The day that we read about, think about, and talk about. The day that you will return and gather together. And we'll see you face to face. So Lord, keep us faithful and keep our eyes on you. And again, it's in your matchless, saving, redeeming name we pray. Amen. Thank you.